When I was given some announcements a minute ago, and I was reminded when I came through just a second ago, we've got the pictures that we took on Easter. Those are in. If you uh, if you had your picture made or whatever, and so I, I grabbed one just to remind me. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna deliver this one to. Uh, Patrick and Stephanie here. I saw you guys earlier, and then I saw your picture back there, and I thought, they're here, so I'll give that one to you. But they're, they're sitting in the back. If you go out these doors, if you don't normally exit that way, check it out before you leave. You can go through those doors, and there's a little table just to the right of the doors before you go out, and they're kind of sitting there. And so if you had one made, then they're sitting back there, and I believe there's some instructions in there on how you can access that and maybe download some more. And if you want to have a you know one blown up or whatever, you really like it, then you know you can you can do all that, all right? So that's that's that so we got the pictures and all that in today and so uh anyway just wanted to make sure to remember before i forgot again know how that goes some of you now you forgot didn't you all right so anyway uh let's uh, let's pray together and uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna take a look at god's word this morning heavenly father we are grateful to be here this morning and, um, and to have the opportunity to turn to your scripture to your revealed word for us we thank you for it and Lord, we pray that, that through it, through the preaching of your word, that you would be honored, that Lord, your scripture and what you want to say today would be very, very clear, and uh, Lord, that you would, would use it in such a way not to bring glory and honor to anyone who presents it, but Lord, certainly and only to bring glory and honor to you as you change our lives with it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hank and I had the chance Friday night to drive over to Bowling Green to see my alma mater, my high school alma mater, play baseball. And some of you know, uh, program at Pleasure Ridge Park in Louisville is very successful. And so this was the closest they were going to get to to Murray. It was a couple hours away. I thought, well, we're going to take advantage of the chance to go there. And we wound up seeing a great game. It was a two to nothing game, and 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 we won. And the guy that uh, was our pitcher actually threw a no hitter. And so he he did a very good job. He's committed to the University of Louisville. He's a really good pitcher. And and yet the whole time I'm sitting there thinking as I'm watching them and watching them play a team out of Lexington and. And knowing that the teams that are playing right now, they all have the same goal at the beginning of the year. They all want to be essentially the, the last team standing, if you will. You know, they, they want to perform well when the pressure is on. And they want to win it all. That's their goal. They want to win every single game that they play. And they know that things are going to happen to them, that it's not always going to be easy. And they understand that, that the game of baseball itself is a difficult game, and, and yet they, they want to be the last team standing. When it's all said and done, that's what they want. And yet, if you were to talk to their coaches, after having talked to the players, and the players all say, oh, we want to be great. We want to be just the best players, and we want to have the best team, and so on. The coach would then tell you, yeah, but you got to practice what you preach, boys. You, you got to practice what you preach. If you want to be great, if you want to perform when the pressure's on, if you don't want to crumble when, when things are going bad and going for the other team, then you know what? You better work today. You better be putting in the time, and you better get ready, and you better build the foundation of a winning team. Because you know as well as I do, and some of you uh, have watched sports long enough, you see the holes in the team, don't you? You see them. Boy, I don't know if they've got it. You know, they're winning right now, and things are going okay, but, you know, they hadn't faced any adversity yet. They hadn't played anybody, if you know what I mean. 
They've been just beating all these teams that should have been, you know, they should have been beaten all along. And, man, when things get tough in tournament time, I don't know if they've got what it takes. You ever, you know what I'm talking about. But every team wants to be great, but every coach knows you've got to practice what you preach. Because in the end, you find out, don't you? I mean, you find out if they really had it or not. You know, if they, if they crumble under pressure, then you realize all along it was just talk, right? Just talk. All along, they really hadn't faced anything tough. And so, uh, in the same light, uh, Jesus talks about sort of this very same thing. At the end of his, what we know is the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about uh, this kind of thing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the end of our series. This, uh, today is the end of the series, Thy Kingdom Come. And in some ways, I'm going to kind of miss it. I'll be honest with you. I've enjoyed studying this one. I've enjoyed uh, preaching it. I've enjoyed interacting with you about it. We've had some very good conversations in some cases and a lot of response as far as folks learning and growing and becoming more like the Lord. And so I'll hate to see it go. There's a lot of great stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've never read it before, maybe you're new with us this morning and you're just joining us and, oh, man, we're wrapping this up. It, it's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and it's really, really good stuff. Jesus really gives a, an overview of what the kingdom of God is all about. But he doesn't get, just give an overview. He gets really specific at times. And so very, very good. Uh, and, and it's really just the beginning of his teaching, but there's so much in it. But in the final verses of this sermon that he gave, Jesus presents us with really with two two possible outcomes. That's it. Two possible outcomes for the lives of people that are listening. And and if you got a Bible, turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Matthew chapter seven. We're going to look, beginning anyway this morning, we're going to look at the last couple of verses uh, in this sermon. Matthew is over in the New Testament. If you are, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you, you say, I don't even know where to look, uh, maybe you've got a tablet or a smartphone or something, you can look it up there if you want to, Matthew 7. Uh, we're going to begin this morning in verses 24 to 27. But if you've got a Bible, an actual copy of the Bible, uh, the Bible's divided in a couple of halves, really about two-thirds in the Old Testament, about a third in the New Testament. You can go to your table of contents, you can look it up. Uh, the first book in the New Testament is called Matthew. And then, of course, it breaks down from there into chapters and verses. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. And I want you to read along with me in verse 24, beginning there, and I'm going to read through verse 27. And so you'll get the idea of these two potential outcomes, really the only outcomes that Jesus says are even possible in our lives. And here's what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, he's talking really about the whole Sermon on the Mount. If you hear what I'm saying, and then he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them or puts them into practice will be like a sensible man. Some of your versions may say a wise man will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the floods came, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But, he says, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. So two possible outcomes. The two, two that he gives us. Really only two options. This is it. This is the only thing that can happen in your life. If you hear the words of Jesus and you put them into practice, if you hear the words of Jesus and don't put them into practice, that's the only two options. You got two things here. The first is collapse. The second is to stand. That's it. You could either collapse or you can stand in life. Jesus makes the point. I didn't write it. He's the one who said it. Here it is. Only two options. You can in your life, you can either collapse or you can stand. And the way Jesus puts it here is he really leaves us no other option. He says when life happens, look what he talks about in verse 25. The rain, the river, the flood, and the winds. 
You know what it's, you know what it's talking about, right? The stuff of life, things that go wrong. Sometimes the rain just falls, doesn't it, in life. The Bible tells us the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. We all get stuff in our life. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. In this context, he's talking about things that aren't good. The rain is pounding down. It's a thunderstorm. And you go through storms, don't you? It means everybody does. And then, and then you've got the floods after the storm. If this, the storm wasn't bad enough, now you deal with the aftermath of whatever just happened, right? Here it comes. And then you've got the winds that whip up, maybe in the midst of it, maybe before it, maybe after whatever. And so it's just this constant bombardment of life. Maybe it's just life things that happen. Maybe it's mistakes you've made. Maybe it's sins that you've committed, other people committed, whatever you deal with, the consequence of those. Maybe it's spiritual attack. It's just all kinds of stuff that happens to everybody. And he says, all that stuff is going to happen. Isn't that great? <laughs> he doesn't say, here's how you avoid the rain and the flood and the wind, does he? Doesn't say that at all. Doesn't say that at all. Just understand this. We're going to get into the idea of false teaching. False teachers will tell you you can avoid all that stuff. You listen to some TV preachers, they're going to tell you, here's how you avoid the rain in life. Here's how you rise above everything. You won't have to deal with it anymore. You just have a little more faith. You just give a little bit more money toward this ministry. And I guarantee you, I will send you this handkerchief that I have cried and blown my nose in and prayed over and whatever. And you will have no more problems ever. Right? Some of you are like, man, I've got that handkerchief on me right now. Don't go. It's all a lie, isn't it? Because you know the rain is going to happen. You know the floods are going to rise, and you know the wind is going to blow in your life. That's just, it just happens. Just because you are a professing believer in Christ does not mean you avoid all that. And so Jesus doesn't even hint toward that stuff being gone. Doesn't even hint toward it. He says when it happens, there are two potential outcomes. One is that you collapse, and the other is that you stand. And of course, it's all dependent upon the foundation that you've built, which is all dependent upon the choices that you've made along the way with what Jesus has said. You get what I'm saying? So you've got two potential outcomes. You've got two potential foundations because all that junk is going to happen to you. And so we know nobody here in their right mind wants to collapse in life. Nobody wants everything to fall apart. You don't want your faith to fall apart. You don't want anything at all just to collapse. You want to stand. And one day when you stand before the Lord, you want to have his stamp of approval to say, yes, I knew you. Yes, you're one of mine. You come right on in to the kingdom of heaven. We want that to happen. The question is, how does that happen? Because wishing and hoping and just positive thinking doesn't make it happen. How do we become the kinds of people who when life happens, we stand instead of collapsing? How do we become the, the types of people that one day when we stand before the ultimate rain, the ultimate wind, the ultimate flood, that is the judgment of God, how do we stand and not collapse? That's the question. How do we do that? Jesus boils it down really, as we'll see today from verse 13 to where we just finished reading, that he boils it down at the end of this sermon to a series of choices, a series of things that we're confronted with, that he says, you got this or you got this. Here's the one I want you to choose. Here's the one you might try. That one's not going to lead to anything but destruction. And so we've got these choices. The thing about this is, and don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. The thing about it is, the people that choose the sand-type foundation that eventually collapse, they think they're choosing the solid foundation. Don't miss that. Or else, why would they choose it? 
Why would anybody in their right mind say, well, I know I'm going to collapse at the end of all this. I know this isn't going to help me out. I know one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'll be sent to hell because I made all the wrong choices. Nobody does that. Not in their right mind. Everybody, especially this morning, everybody sitting in church, thinks we are making the right choices. And yet we're going to see, Jesus says, hmm, I wonder... So, we're going to look at uh, these choices. He kind of lays them out. Uh, We're going to look first at those who who eventually collapse. Here's what they're choosing. Even though they don't recognize necessarily the the, the wrongness, if you will, of their choice, this is what they choose at the very beginning. Look with me first at verses 13 to 14. If you want to to make make this mark. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate? and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. So here's, here's the first choice, the first kind of, you can do this or that. The first choice that the people who eventually collapse make is to choose the wide road. They choose the wide road. That's verses 13 14. Why on earth would people do that? Why would they choose something that the scripture clearly tells us will eventually lead us to collapse? Well, I mean, it, it, it's very attractive. I mean, you think about this wide road. Here's what Jesus says about it. The gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. There are a few things here about this wide road. It, it's very easy. It's a wide gate. It's a wide path. If you're going to enter through something that's very narrow, you can't carry anything with you, right? You can't have all your luggage and all the stuff and all. You just got to, okay, here we go. I'm just me going through it. What Jesus is making the point is that the wide road is pretty easy. You don't have to leave anything behind. And there's a brand of Christianity that would tell you that you, you listen, it, it's just easy. You don't have to leave anything behind. Repentance of sin. What in the world is sin in the first place? Repent. Who needs to do that? You just need to believe more. You just need to believe in yourself. You just need to have more faith. You just need to think positively and everything's going to be just fine. You don't have to leave anything behind. That's the wide road. You just take everything about you and just jump on and start walking. You can take all your sin, all your habits, all the worldly stuff. It's a very tolerant and permissive kind of thing. Anything goes on this wide road. And so it accommodates to me. It adjusts to me. And not, not only is it, is it very easy, but Jesus shows here it's very popular. At least, at least it's not unpopular. And, and, and understand, remember who he's talking to here. He's not talking to those random, awful, terrible people that do terrible things out there somewhere. He's talking to people that sat there and listened to his whole sermon. People that at least, in some cases, had an interest in maybe following him. They'd heard his whole sermon. And yet he tells them, guys, don't, don't, don't choose the wide road. It's very popular, even popular amongst Christians. He says many are these who find it. The wide road is popular even amongst religious people, which is why it's so dangerous. Because it's a cultural type of Christianity. Listen, I love America. I'm going to tell you that. I would not want to be anywhere else. I am so thankful. I believe we live in the greatest country that the world has ever known. And yet, if we are not careful... If we are not careful, we can buy into a cultural brand of Christianity that Jesus does not endorse. You understand what I'm saying? 
It says, well, I've been raised in America. I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home, so I'm a Christian. I do some Christian type things, so now I'm a Christian. It's sort of that cultural brand. It's I wear the label of Christianity as opposed to truly following Jesus. And in so many cases, for so many people, especially I think people who sit in church every single week, in so many cases, Christianity is just a, a costless, cheap addition onto their lives. It doesn't cost me anything. Big deal. I'll wear the label. And, and I think Jesus makes the point here that not only is it, is it easy and it's, you know, it's popular, but it's also got to be really fun, right? You just do whatever you want to. I mean, you get all the benefits of sort of being the church person and people thinking you're great and whatever, and then you just live however you want to. Man, it's, you get all kinds of benefits from that. Listen, the church people think you're great. Everybody else thinks you're great. And you're having all kinds of fun. You live for now. There's no worries. You do what you want. That's the brand of Christianity. Jesus is saying, hold on a second. You better stop. It's attractive, but what does Jesus say? He says, that road leads to where? Destruction. So it's a very attractive thing, but it's also very destructive. It kind of lulls us to sleep, doesn't it? You know, we never consider, where's this road leading me? Never stop to say, is this right? Did Jesus really say these things? You know, it always leaves us, I think, wanting more as well. Is this, is this it? Is this it? And, and, and I think it's, you know, ultimately it just, it proves, and, and there's a, there's a, a song that we heard actually, I believe the other night at the ballpark. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you have heard this song, though you would not admit knowing the words to the song, but the song is called highway to hell. I know you've never, you know, I mean, you weren't into rock and roll music at any point in your life. You never heard this song. Listen to the words of the song, living easy, living free. Now, I can't really sing it like he does, okay? But, you know. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. You're welcome. <clears throat> Season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be. Taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't got nothing I'd rather do. Going down party time, my friends are going to be there too. And then he says, I'm on the highway to hell. No stop signs, speed limit, nobody's going to slow me down. Like a wheel going to spin it, nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan, paying my dues, playing in a rocking band. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm on the way, he says, to the promised land. And he says, I'm on the highway to hell. Now, he's proud of it. And we all say, my goodness gracious, I know all the words to that song, and I really wouldn't, probably should admit that I know all the words to that song, you know. He's proud of it, isn't he? The truth is that that highway to hell is so deceptive that there are many, Jesus says, many who find it. And who's he talking to? People who just heard his sermon. He's saying, folks, you could be one of the many that find this route, that find this way. When you choose the broad, the wide road, it could lead you away from Jesus and you could be a religious good person who doesn't know the Lord. That's what he's saying. He then goes on to present us with this second kind of choice. Something else that people think, hey, this has got to be good, right? But what they're choosing is what, what I would term semi-biblical teaching. Semi, sort of, maybe a little bit. Look at what he says in verse 15. Beware of false prophets or false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. 
A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, he's comparing trees to people and teachers. Okay, Don't get lost in the metaphor. What he's saying is, you'll understand that not all teaching from the Bible is equal. There is some that's sort of semi-biblical teaching. Now, why is that semi-biblical teaching kind of uh, appealing to us? Well, I mean, it sounds really good. I mean, it preaches well. You know, it, it sprinkles in just enough Bible, just enough, to sort of say it was a sermon instead of sort of an inspirational talk. It sprinkles in just enough, and, it, and it's a great presentation. I mean, these people that teach these things are really impressive. They don't use any notes whatsoever. You realize that? None. You watch them. They don't use any notes. They got it all memorized. It's all scripted. They know exactly what they're doing. Nothing inherently wrong with that. But man, it sounds good. Doesn't it? They're good. They're good. You're like, yeah, they are. They are good. You ought to take some pointers from them. You know, I get it. Okay, I get it. You know, they're really good at presenting their material. And not only, not only does it sound good, but it makes us feel good, right? I mean, it's inspirational. You watch one of those. You listen to one of their sermons. Man, it is just... Good grief, man, I feel great. Now I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take on the world. My my home church pastor used to talk. He said, I'm ready to take on hell with a water pistol. I'm ready to go. You know, here we go. You're just so excited, so fired up. It's such a, so immediately helpful. Man, it's just, it's so great. And, and also it helps you do good, doesn't it? And I'm going to be a better person now. And I'm going to do better at work. And I might even get a promotion and a raise. And financially, I'm going to make more money or I'm going to get more out of my money and whatever. Now all that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But Jesus says, you got some false teaching out there. Why? Why is it false? Because it doesn't tell the whole story. You don't get the bad news. You don't get the bad news. You realize that if I only tell you, if I only tell you about the grace and love and mercy of God, and don't tell you why there's a need for the grace and love and mercy of God, then I'm a false teacher and you ought to fire me. In all honesty. Because if I don't tell you the other side of the story... That the reason that there is a need for grace and love and mercy is because we are, we are sinners bound for hell by default, by birth. If I don't tell you that, that the judgment of God rests on sin and that apart from his grace and love and mercy, I will experience the judgment of God for all eternity. If I don't tell you that part, I'm a false teacher. And Jesus is saying, you got some false teachers. And one of the things they do is they leave out the rest of the story, if you will. Not only that, he says, but it comes from these imposters. They don't really know the Lord. They're just making a living by presenting these biblical things to you, these inspirational talks. They don't really, he says, you'll know them by, by their fruit, by what they teach, how they live. And ultimately, this false teaching doesn't hold up under inspection. I mean, the closer you look at it, the more you know your own Bible in context and you understand really what it means, you, you think, that ain't right. And I, I, we were watching not long ago, I guess, and, and, and uh, one of my children, Hank, was, was watching the TV show, and there was a preacher on there, and, and, and we, we had talked about this particular preacher before, and, and uh, it was interesting to see when we watched it how we could just easily pick out. That's not quite right. Well, that's part of the truth, but not the whole truth. And, and when you do that, you'll begin to see how much false teaching can be out there. So these folks choose semi-biblical teaching. They want biblical teaching, but I don't know if I want the whole story. Just make me feel good. Just make it sound good and so on. The third thing that they choose, thinking they're building a solid foundation, is that they are saying religious things. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now stop right there for just a second. Do you understand what they're saying to Jesus? 
They're calling him Lord. And not only once, but twice for emphasis. They are trying to make it sound as if they really are on board with his lordship and who he is. But here's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will what? Will enter the kingdom of heaven. What? So you're telling me that if somebody makes a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, then there is, there is no guarantee that in and of itself that public profession of faith guarantees them a spot in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. You understand how, I mean, this is, this is, this is an important sermon he's preaching. Not everybody, he says, who stands up in front of the church and says some things that are religious and repeats a few words and so on, not everybody who does that, he says, is going to heaven. Whoa. Now, some of you are already doubting your salvation right now, aren't you? Oh, man, oh, what in the world? What he's saying is not to, to cause us to doubt our salvation and wonder and, oh, my goodness, and so on. He's just saying, you know what? It's got to be more than saying some religious things and doing some religious activities. It's got to be more than that. You know, we say these things because it gives us a sense of security. Well, I walked an aisle way back when. I said a prayer. You know, I repeated the words. I even got baptized. I said and did some religious things. Isn't that enough? I mean, you know, I mean, that's what Jesus wanted, right? I mean, I went through the process. I mean, I did those things. I, you know, I mean, I, I get it. Way back when, I did all that stuff. I made some decision, if you will. I mean, I said I believed some things. They told me I needed to say that I believed, and so I did those things. I mean, is that is that not enough? And then only, not only does it give us this sense of security, but it but it gets us busy. Jesus says, he says, they'll, they'll say to me on that day, many who say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Verse 22, didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? They they're doing lots of religious good stuff, right? Saying the right things, doing the right things they think. And got them busy. And didn't really require anything too difficult from them. You know, say this, pray that, show up at these times. You know, otherwise just do what you want. I mean, we'll see you next week. You know, no big deal. The problem, of course, with this kind of saying religious things is that it can give you a false sense of security. Do you realize that Jesus didn't say that what he wanted most from us was to pray a prayer or to walk an aisle or to go to church or even to get baptized? Do you realize that? Do you know what Jesus said? He said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, do you know how it goes in Luke 9, 23? He or she must what? Deny himself and then what? Take up what? His cross daily and follow me. Did he say you must pray a prayer this way? You must walk the aisle this way? You must get baptized and so on and so forth? No, he didn't say that. All those things would be an extension of that, right? He says you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Is there anything inherently wrong with saying religious things? No. But it can give us a false sense of security, can't it? When Jesus just said, I want you to be my disciple, deny yourself, give up yourself, die to yourself, follow me, love Jesus, that's what he said. That's what he wants from us. And when we just say religious things, it takes the focus off of Jesus. Because ultimately it's submission to him that he wants, not just us to kind of go through the motions and robotically do these things. And listen, I know of people, and I guarantee you do, that one day, once upon a time, they did all those things. And you know what happens later on? They wake up and realize, I didn't mean anything I said. You been there? 
some of you probably have that kind of story. You know, I was a young person at one point, and I kind of felt like I needed to do these things, and so I walked through the motions, and I said the prayer they told me to pray, and, and then I, I even got baptized, and they told me I need to do that stuff too, and I figured I was okay, and then one day I realized I didn't know Jesus. I'd done all the religious things. I'd said all the right things, and I didn't know Jesus. Do you realize he's also talking in here? <laughs> and this is, this. I, t- I tell you this all the time, some of you don't believe me. If you ever feel like you're getting beaten up during the sermon by what, what the Lord is saying, then, then try, try dealing with it all week long. Because you know who he's talking to as well? He's talking to preachers. He's telling them you can say all the right things. You can stand up and you can preach and you can have a huge church and all these great people and whatever and not know Jesus. You realize that? That was real fun about Wednesday. Come across that when I'm reading. Well, you know. All right. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, I gotta, I, I gotta do it too. So saying religious things, not it. And then, and then he goes on and he, and he talks about the other thing that they kind of choose is to sort of agree with Jesus. So they're sort of agreeing with Jesus. He, he, everyone who hears these words of mine, remember he's talking to a group that they all heard his sermon. And not everybody was, was, was as interested maybe as, as the 12 disciples, you know, but, but everybody's hearing it and they're probably all kind of nodding along. Okay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, I mean, that's, that's cool. And, you know, I mean, it was kind of popular and still is. I mean, look at our, look at our community today. It's, it's popular to sort of, at least sort of agree with a lot of things Jesus said and did, right? I mean, in our country, even, I mean, look at what every single politician, especially on the national or, or state level, every single politician has to make sure that they act like they care about what Christians think. Now, some of them really do. I get it. Some of them don't. But they all have to. Why? Because it's kind of popular to sort of kind of agree with what Jesus said. I mean, you know, not all of it, but sort of mostly, you know, I got to, because those people do. You know, it's a very passive thing. These folks are just hearing the words. It requires very little of them. And, and it's really a very painless kind of thing because if you just are hearing the words and you're just sort of agreeing, then you just get all the benefits and blessings of your supposed salvation and you, you required nothing of you. You get to pick and choose.